0: Psalm 131, a song of accents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child in my soul within me. O Israel, Hope in the Lord for this time forth and forevermore. All right, well, uh, G.K. Chesterton is an old English author. And he once told this fable about a boy who encountered a genie or a wizard or a fairy. I can't remember all the details, something like that. But he was given the following choice, okay? This powerful person, wizard, let's call him, says, I have the power to make you the biggest person of all time. Just huge. You, you would own this place. Uh, absolutely enormous, strong, and powerful. Or I can make you very, very, very small. OK, so small that when you're standing out in the mowed lawn, we wouldn't even be able to see the top of your head, OK? Um, so small that when you walked out into your yard, those little bugs would seem like terrifying creatures roaming around on the plains. Uh, what do you want to be? Do you want to be big, or do you want to be small? Okay, well, this young boy, of course, like all of us, chose to be big, okay? So he was uh, zapped and made enormous, and he waded across oceans, he jumped over mountains, he ran around the entire world in just minutes. He could go as far as he wanted, as fast as he wanted. He jumped out from behind Mount Everest just to mess with the climbers who were about to summit the peak. It was thrilling in every way. He loved it for about a day and a half, okay? For about a day and a half, and then what happened? After a day and a half, it turns out that being big is also pretty boring. Okay, when you're that big, there's just not that many things to do in a world that's too small for you. You can only pluck so many redwoods and use them as as toothpicks, you know. And you can only swim around Australia so many times before it feels like you're just running laps on a track. Uh, being big is very boring, it turns out. So the boy laid down on the Great Plains with one leg in Oklahoma and an arm across South Dakota, and he just laid back and he dreamt about what it would be like to be small. What what if he'd made the other choice? Okay. What if he was so small that simply stepping out into his backyard would be like stepping into a jungle filled with adventure and um, daring and unexpected creatures at every turn? What if the world was so big he could spend thousands of lifetimes exploring it and not even scratch the surface of what it had to offer? And the boy realized in that moment that he'd made the wrong choice. That he, that he w- wanted to be big, but that the world that he was meant to live, the, the world full of adventure and life, was a world of being small. And so he just laid there, and he dreamt about being small. Right? We're in a series this summer through a few of the psalms in the Old Testament. And the, psalms, the psalm that we're looking at this morning that Caleb just read, it's a psalm that encourages us, commands us even, to dream about what it would be like to be small right? it's a psalm that warns us away from the choice the boy made and invites us to be small in god's big world not not to demean us not to belittle us or marginalize us but because being small it's not only our reality we just are small okay that's just who we are but because it also turns out that this is for our good right? being small in god's world it's not only our true place It turns out to be our pleasure as well. It's advantageous and adventurous. But most surprisingly of all, for people who are small in God's big world, it's a world of rest. So I want to look at this um, ancient wisdom from Psalm 131 in just two parts this morning. Be small and rest big. Okay, Be small, rest big. We just heard this read from the English Standard Version. Listen to this version from the message, which is a modern paraphrase of the Bible. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. Uh, I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope hope now and hope always. I like the way he puts that. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. This is a call to be small. But what does it mean to be small? I I mean, that's not exactly the most inspirational speech you've ever heard at first pass, is it? You know, So, college football started this weekend, thank the Lord, and uh, you can imagine that the coach gets up in front of his team before the game starts, right? It's week zero, you're in the Florida locker room, and he's getting his guys pumped up. He says, look, there are 70,000 people out there ready to watch you guys play, millions more on TV. You've got the name of your school written on your chest. You've got the name of your family written on your back. I want you to go out there, and I want you to be small. I want you to have small hearts, small ambitions, a small brotherhood, okay? Small goals. Insert your small will on the game. Is Psalm 131, like, the worst pregame speech of all time? Or is there something else going on here? Some other dynamic that we're being called to as followers of Jesus? Because if we're not careful, this can sound like permission to duck the challenges of life, can it? Um, it, it, To check out and not take ownership of things. It can sound like a cop-out from rolling up our sleeves and committing to something, being present. Is the Bible steering us away from adulting? as the kids say these days. Is it discouraging ambition and aspiration and a longing for excellence? Is it saying, don't go for it, really? Don't commit, don't swing for the fences, don't take risks and make big plans. But it can't be, right? Because the Bible also says stuff like, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The Bible calls us to passion and ambition. So what's Psalm 131 really saying? when it tells us to be small? Well, I think a few other passages throughout the Bible help us fill in this picture. For example, in Proverbs 3, verse 7, we read, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. In the same way, Romans 12 tells us, live in harmony with one another, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. I think own eyes and own sights would be the key phrases in those passages. Jeremiah 45 puts it pretty bluntly. Should you then seek great things for yourself, do not seek them. All right, that's pretty straightforward. But again, the key word there being for yourself, right? And then, of course, in Matthew 18, um, we read that at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put... Him in the midst of them, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, unless you become small, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the upside down kingdom that God came to establish. Jesus offers the example of a child as the model for Christian faith, not because of the child's helplessness or innocence um, or uselessness. We all know children are not innocent, okay? That's not what he's saying here. But because children are ready and willing to be led and to be taught and to be blessed. They they expect to be taken care of. They expect to be fed by another. Um, Their default mode is that they know they're small in a bigger family than just themselves, in a bigger world than just themselves. The overall picture from the Bible here, it's not a warning against ambition, against excellence or zeal or passion. This is a warning against pride. This is a warning about being big in our own eyes, being great for our own name. This is a call to be confident and humble in God's care and love for his children. And honestly, in our culture today, It's a message that we can't hear too often, okay? So Eugene Peterson, who wrote that um, paraphrase of the message that I just read, he also wrote this in a different book. It's difficult to recognize pride as a sin when it's held up on every side in our culture today as a virtue, okay? Urged as profitable and rewarded as an achievement. What's described in scripture as the most basic sin. The sin of taking things in your own hands, being your own God, grabbing what's there while you can get it, is now described in our world as basic wisdom. Improve yourself by whatever means you're able. Get ahead regardless of the price. Take care of me first. Our lives are lived well, he says, when they're lived on the terms of creation. With God loving us and us being loved. With God making us, and us being made, with God revealing and us understanding, with God commanding and us responding. Being a Christian means accepting the terms of creation, he says. And here are the terms of creation. You are small in God's big world, but it turns out these are amazing terms, okay? It turns out that the terms of creation and God's terms of salvation are an amazing deal. This is a good deal, okay? Being small in God's world is a good deal because, first of all, what it does is it helps us orient to one another in healthier ways. We have healthier relationships with each other when we're small in God's big world because at the heart of pride is comparison. In a small, cramped world, only the size of seeking great things for myself, other people will inevitably become either a threat to that, to my fame, or they'll become a tool for me to have a bigger platform. And um, deep, other-centered friendships, spiritual friendships, won't naturally grow. They cut against the grain of pride because pride has a heart of comparison. Um, But if we live in the real world of God's big world and we're minor characters in another person's story, Jesus's story, we can have far more joy for other people's success, even success in the same field or the same space that we inhabit. Now, of course, God has gifted different people in different ways. I'm not trying to say we're all exactly the same. Some of you have far more smarts and money and influence and athleticism than the rest of us, but the wide variety of ways that we're different from one another, it's something like having a jumping contest, okay? So we all get up here and we jump as high as we can jump. Now, some of us are Michael Jordan, okay? God bless you. You can jump out of the gym. The rest of us are like Chris Farley, okay? We're not getting up very high very fast, um, <clears throat> and it can be discouraging for the rest of us to see how the elite athletes can get up off the floor. And for the elite athletes, it's almost impossible not to look down on the rest of everybody else who can't jump until we all hear the news that the jumping contest is actually a contest to see who can jump to the moon. Okay, And, and when, the re- when the bigness of our calling and the bigness of the world gets dropped down in front of us and we realize what sort of world we're actually living in, then all of those little comparisons, all of those little competitions, all the threats to our fame, all the ways that we're using other people, they just evaporate because now we just look at each other and we laugh and we can say, Michael, good jump, but you're just as close to the moon as I am and I haven't even left the floor, right? Like we can laugh at each other when we realize we're all incapable, And we all fall short. And we're all inadequate to make ourselves successful, the kind of successful that matters in God's world. Spiritually successful. Morally successful. Relationally successful. And we're never going to make it to our destination unless someone comes in from the outside and, and, and with their power and their presence can bring us home. When we're all small we're actually going to find ourselves standing alongside some of the most interesting, fascinating characters in history, and we're all going to be pointing at Jesus together, and we're all going to be saying, who would have thought someone like that would love someone like me? And all of us will be able to say that together. And now, all of those little competitions, those little comparisons of pride, they evaporate in the bigness and the glory and the gospel that Jesus offers to the world. Being the biggest in your little world, it's too boring for you, okay? It's too small for you. You were meant for something far bigger than that. Being small in God's kingdom, on the other hand, receiving God's big love, that's a world full of meaning and adventure and joy. But maybe the most surprising result of the small life, is that it brings big rest, okay? Because it would be tempting to think, or it would be easy to think, we might think, that resigning ourselves to being small in a big world is full of danger, right? It's like that little boy walking out into his backyard and every bug, every ant now becomes a giant creature that he has to contend with. Like it's full of fear, it's full of anxiety. If we're small and we don't have the power, who's looking out for us? Do we need to kick it up into a higher gear to survive? Wouldn't being smaller lead to more work and more worry? Well, not with the gospel, okay? Not with the story that God is writing in this world. Verse two, our psalmist writes, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Or as Eugene Peterson put it, I've cultivated a quiet heart, a restful heart, like a weaned child with its mother, like a wean child is my soul within me. Do you see the picture that this psalmist is painting for us here this morning? Being small in God's big world is, is living with God as a child lives with her mother resting in her arms. Now, by the way, it's, it's interesting. The Bible uses imagery and metaphors of God as a loving mother and as a loving father. He has characteristics of both um, and, and relates to his people in the full range of care and love that we need, protection, provision, motherly love, and fatherly love, all pouring out of heaven for his kids. But notice the image here is of a small child, um, but not of a nursing baby, right? Because the nursing baby is always rooting around uh, looking for food from mom, right? They're going to be unsettled while they're in their mother's arms unless they're getting what, they're, what they need, what they're there for. Um, and they're going to be restless until they get it. Instead, this is a weaned child, okay? This is a child who rests in her mom's arms not to get something out of the deal, but just because it's her mom's arms, just to be near her, because she knows she's safe there, and her mom loves her and cares for her. This is a picture of a child at rest, content, nourished, not anxious, not busy, not doing lots of tasks for her mom to show how great a kid she is, uh, and, and to rack up points against her brother and sister for when the ice cream handout comes out later. Like, this is not uh, working for approval. This is not earning, comparing uh, marks. This is a calm, soul. This is a quiet soul. A soul at rest. This is rest from having to earn your value in life, right? Having to show up again and do it again so that you're not exposed as a fraud. Um, This is rest from the pressure and the weight that if anything is going to get done, I'm the one who has to make it all work. Um, An author I like, Mark Buchanan, wrote, the worst hallucination Busyness conjures is the conviction that I'm a God, that all depends on me. How will the right things happen at the right time if I'm not pushing and pulling and watching and worrying? If you wake up worrying and you're busy all the time, this is rest from a busy heart, okay? This is rest from needing to justify our own existence. This is rest even from going to God only when we need things from God. This is the rest that Jesus promises will come to characterize his followers more and more as we walk with him through life. My yoke is easy, he says, and my burden is light. Does your life feel easy and light? Or is some of this rest being small in God's world exactly what the doctor ordered for you and for me? This is letting ourselves be human with all our limitations and neediness and suffering that entails, and letting God be God with all the power and sovereignty and love that entails. We rest as small ones in God's big kingdom and his big heart. And notice, too, this soul rest. It's not opposed to work. It's not opposed to calling and vocation and aspiration and ambition um, and, and wanting to impact the world and make it a better place. We can have very full schedules and very restful hearts at the same time. On the flip side, we can also have a pretty easy life, all things considered, but our hearts can be churning with anxiety and worry because our hearts are not at rest. How we spend the hours in our day is not the Bible's definition of rest. But see this, verse 3, this is the definition of rest. It's not how we spend our hours, it's how we spend our hope, okay? Verse 3, O oh Israel, O oh people of God, O oh grace church, hope in the Lord. Don't hope in your bank account, don't hope in your popularity and poll ratings, don't hope in your comfort Don't hope in your ability to figure it all out and control all the scenarios and the options. Don't hope in your theological accuracy or your spiritual, emotional experience. Don't hope in your work and your achievements and your record and your grades and your accolade and your fame and your name. That all comes and goes like the wind. Enjoy it it while it's here, right? If you have any of those things, like by all means, enjoy it, but don't hope in it. Because it comes and it goes like the wind. Hope in someone bigger than you. Hope in a king and a kingdom bigger than you and your little kingdom. Hope in the one who loves you so much he left heaven to suffer and die for your sins. And hope in the one who loves you so much that he left the grave to conquer and dismiss all your enemies. Anyone that could ever really threaten you, he's already dismissed. Hope in the one who right now reigns in heaven as the king of all things, but he still considers it his day job to hear every prayer that's ever whispered by one of his family members, his children here on earth. And he interprets them and he intercedes for us to the Father in heaven. Hope in Jesus from this time forth and forevermore. Charles Spurgeon He's a great English preacher. And he said, Psalm 131 is one of the shortest to read and one of the longest to learn. Okay, I counted them up. It's only 21 words in the original Hebrew language, but this is gonna take decades to hear and to receive and to get into our hearts so that we can actually rest in God's big world and and be small in his kingdom. Let me finish with one little story um, because it's short and it's fitting for today. Uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic priest, and he was one of the key figures in the, mo- in the movement that reformed the church in the 1500s and rediscovered, so to speak, the gospel of grace in the heart of the Bible. Um, and he was this towering figure, okay? Not only was he like a, an intellectual giant and a theological giant, but he was like a Just kind of a brash guy. He was a go-getter. He was an activist. He was like uh, a a gunslinger. He was fearless. Um, So he was a force to be reckoned with, okay? And one of his closest um, friends and uh, and companions was a younger guy named Philip Philip Melanchthon. And so one day, Philip turned to Martin, and he announced, today, you and I shall discuss the governance of the universe. And Martin looked back at him, and he said, "Uh, no, today, you and I shall go fishing. And we shall leave the governance of the universe to God, okay? Martin was saying, it's okay to be small in God's big world. He's got it all under control. He loves you. Everything that happens that you can't hold together, he can hold together, okay? All the sins that we can't atone for, he's atoned for this. All the, all the future that we look into and it looks foggy and uncertain and we're afraid of it, he knows that future and he has promised to usher you through it for your good, no matter what happens to you. God is big enough to hold all things together that we cannot and we can just rest and be small in his big world and his big love for us. And then we can go fishing, all right? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are big enough to hold all things together in our life. We thank you um, that we're small enough to rest in your family as your children. Thank you for all the, the promises that you've poured out from heaven. Thank you for all the ways that you're at work in our life that we can't even see right now, that we don't even know. We trust you. Help our hearts rest in you. Amen.